You're listening to the Christmas Day message from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord? 
is confirming in Mary, blessed are you. Blessed are you that you have taken this, that you have taken on the responsibility, that you have taken on the stigma of being someone that the town will outcast because you have had a child supposedly out of wedlock. The angel told Zechariah in Luke 1.15 that John the Baptist would be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb, and that is the Spirit of God would exercise a unique control on this man's life from the time he was in his mother's womb until he completed his ministry as a grown man. Then Luke gives evidence of this by showing that as Mary approached, carrying the Son of God in her womb, that John gives Elizabeth a pretty good kick in the diaphragm, right? This wasn't just a normal kick. This wasn't a normal movement. It was something that shook Mary. It was something like, whoa, what in the world was that? There was something in John, in his mother's womb, that gave evidence to who was in Mary's womb. Mary, uh, the Holy Spirit cried out and said, Mary, my child is leaping for joy. The Holy Spirit has helped him before he can even speak to bear witness to the Lord in your womb. So Mary's godliness is shown. That's all the confirmation Mary needs. She clearly, uh, he sees clearly a most remarkable thing about God, that he's about to change the course of all human history. And where is God? Occupying himself with two obscure women, one old and barren, and one young and virginal. God is about to change the world. And this isn't something we can question. I mean, he, he changed the world. We're sitting here 2,000 years later along with tens if not hundreds of millions of others, worshiping the name of Jesus. And it began by God finding these two obscure women, not of royalty, not of pomp or circumstance, not of wealth, not even popular. In fact, quite unpopular. And this is who he concerns himself with. Mary is so moved by the vision of God, the lover of the lowly, and she breaks out with song. And that song has come to be known as the Magnificat. I'd like to read it for you here, and it'll be on the screen behind me. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaid. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and has scattered the proud in their imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the empty with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercies as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his posterity. So here we have Mary and Elizabeth, and Dr. Luke is enamored by these women, right? Remember, this is Luke writing his story as he listens to the accounts and the testimony. And he's enamored by these two women, he loves the faith of these women, and what it impresses on him, and what it appears to us. Because remember, who is Luke writing the Gospel of Luke to? Theophilus. He's writing to a man named Theophilus, and he wants Theophilus, he says, Theophilus, my noble reader, he wants them to see that in lowliness and humility, the cheer that both Elizabeth and Mary exhibited. In 
verse 143, it says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Mary says in 148, The Lord has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. There is no pride in them. There is no arrogance. There is no, well, look at me. This is where I'm born. This is what I've done. Surely I've worked hard enough. Surely I've studied the scriptures well enough to be at this place. What's really fascinating is we get to see a, a similarity between Mary's prayer and the woman in the Old Testament's prayer. Now, this is cool. So often we think that because she was young, there was not much about the scripture she knew. Do we have anybody in here who's a teenager? Right? We've got teenagers in here? You wish. So often people look and say, well, you're a kid. You'll get it. You'll get it one day. Mary is probably 14, maybe 15. You see, she so understood the gospel, she understood the writings of the prophets, she understood the Torah, she understood the kings and the judges, she understood the book of Samuel. Because watch this. There is a woman in the Old Testament who prayed a very similar song before her Lord when she found out she was pregnant. Her name was Hannah. And she found out she was going to give birth to a son who she would name Samuel. Does Samuel have any significance in this story? Yeah, he kind of comes and anoints King David, doesn't he? Before he's a king, he's just a shepherd boy. Hannah prayed, and her prayer went like this. I think we've got it up on the screen. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside thee. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. The feeble bind up on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased the hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings life. He brings down the shield and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. She makes them sit with the princes and inherit in seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevent. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointing. This is the word of our Lord. Tell me that's not one of the most powerful prayers you've ever heard. Now, what's so fascinating about it is you hear it, doesn't it feel like it's coming from Joshua, maybe getting ready to take Jericho? Perhaps King David, in one of his many victories, as it says, Saul flew his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Perhaps it's Joseph, as he's now one of the leaders over Egypt. No, this is Hannah. An older woman who's been buried, made fun of, cast aside all of the other popular women who have their, like, hundred babies around them. They look at her and they're like, God doesn't love you, Hannah. That is such a strong, bold prayer. May we all be so brave as to go before the Lord like that. To go before the Lord and say, Lord, it is not in my strength that I come before you, but in your strength, in your wisdom, in your might. 
of the similarities because one of the things I want you to see here is this is not word for word. Luke does not show us that Mary went word for word with Hannah's prayer. She was not speaking Hannah's prayer, but what it does show us is that Mary knew of Hannah's prayer. Mary knew it very well. She was studied in the prayer. If you look at this, you can see verse 1 of Hannah, My heart exalts in the Lord, I rejoice in thy salvation. Verse 46 in Luke 1, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices. Holy, there is none holy like the Lord. Mary, holy is his name. Verse 4, The bowels, bowels, of, the bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble dirt on strength. Mary says he has put down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of low degree. You can see the last one in 5 and 53. The similarities are purposeful. The similarities show us that a man or a woman of God who goes before the Lord, who has been blessed by the Lord and recognizes the blessings of God, will have similar uh, attributes attributed to the Father. This is not an accident. Mary didn't just get lucky and say something similar. She knew Hannah's prayer. And as she sat there, she probably studied the great heroines of the Bible, right? Ruth and Abigail. Esther. She would have studied them. She would have known what they did. And here she now holds the incarnate Messiah in her. And her song unto the Lord is similar to that of Hannah's. So I want to look briefly at three things here, and then, and then we want to get into some testimonies of our own. I want to hear you. The reason I'm giving you this foundation first is because I want you to understand that when we go before the Lord in rejoicing, when we exalt Him, it is not about exalting ourselves, it is about exalting who He has been in us. And when we can do that, when we can take a look at the year, and we can take a look at all of the good and bad of 2016, we can step back and we can say, oh God, I'm waiting you be exalted for this. And even in this trial, and even in this storm that I have in 2016, would you be exalted because I see what you're doing in me? So there's three things here in the Magnificat. First, there's Mary's expression of what she feels in her heart, verses 46 and 47. Namely, it's extreme joy. Second, she mentions that God has done for her specifically as an individual, 48 and 49, that regarding her lowliness, he did great things for her, and he has given her an enduring reputation of blessedness, right? So she says this. She recognizes that for all generations, people are going to look at me and call me blessed. Isn't that fascinating? This lowly, humble girl recognizes I'm about to give birth to the Savior of the world, and whether I like it or not, for generations to come, people will call me blessed. The third part of the, of the song, she spends most of the time describing the way God is. She describes the nature of the Father. Do you hear me on this? She, how is she able to describe the nature of the Father? Because she knows the nature of the Father. If you hear this morning and you say, I couldn't describe it, then my challenge to you is get to know the nature of the Father. Get to know it. Become familiar with it. Mary may have been young, but she was not foolish. She was not uneducated. She filled her days and her time with getting to know her God. This general character of God accounts for why he has treated her the way he has. And so I want to look at these in reverse order and start with that one. The second half of verse 49, Mary makes the general statement that God's name is holy, that God's nature and his essence is holiness. He is completely free from sin. And that his ways are not our ways. He is separate and exalted above the creature. You hear that? 
The Creator is exalted above the creature, but what Mary stresses is this way His holiness expresses itself. How does this holy Creator express Himself? And his, her words are a warning to Theophilus. Remember, who is writing to Theophilus? Her words are a warning to Theophilus and to us not to make the common mistake that God is partial to the great, that God shows mercy and kindness to those who are wealthy and popular. Because here's the thing, Theophilus was somebody who would have been a general and uh, higher in the Roman courts. And so as Luke writes this, he stresses this point. Theophilus, pay attention. Just because of your position, don't expect favor from God. And then, hey, those of you who have no position, those of you who say, I'm just living life, make it. Expect the God who will do something right. Lord, we've lost that in this country. We have lost the idea that God will use the lowly and the least of these and the poor and the suffering to do something greater than the wealthy and the middle. What fills Mary's heart with joy is that God loves to undertake for the underdog. He calls on his mercy. She mentioned it three times in verse 50. He has mercy on those who fear him. 52, he has exalted those of low degree. 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. That's one side of God's holiness. And then on the other side of God's holiness, we see his justice. He has scattered the proud of imagination in their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their throne. Verse 53, the rich he has sent away empty. It is clear from Mary's words and all the scripture that God is not partial to anyone, race, sex, uh, social, economical, popularity, contest. God does not care who God is partial towards. If he has any partiality, it's those who are humble before him and who say, Lord, let your will be mine. That's who he's partial to. Secondly, the Holy God blesses Mary. The third section of the Magnificat, we just talked about, let's move to the middle part, verses 48 and 49. Mary simply sees in her own experience an example of the way God is. He condescends to Mary's loneliness and does a great thing for her. He makes her the mother of God. It's such a singular, unimaginable blessing that all generations from time to time, she will be known as the mother of God. Now, in this, this is a place for warning, and I want to speak to this here. Against the undue exaltation of Mary as morally unique. Well, pay attention. For all of us here, this is a good word. This is a warning against the undue exaltation of Mary as morally unique. She is unique. No one else for the Son of God. She certainly is unique. But the Roman Catholic doctrine of her sinless life her perpetual virginity, her bodily assumption into heaven, have no warrant in the New Testament. In fact, it's an implicit warning against excessive exaltation of Mary. If you look at Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, Luke tells us that once after Jesus had spoken, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that you sucked. Get that. He's in the crowd, and the woman says, Blessed is your mother. Blessed is this woman. May we praise her. May we bless her. How does Jesus respond? Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In 
Another time, recorded in Luke 8, 19 through 21, his mothers and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And he said to them, My mother and my brother are those who do and hear, who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus doesn't mince words, does he? Jesus doesn't leave it vague about possibly maybe we worship Mary here, like Jesus here, and then Mary here, and then other people down here. He doesn't leave it vague at all. Jesus was actually fairly blunt in both instances. And that surely there should be no indication that Mary should be exalted in a moral class by herself. But let's not let the excess of this tradition keep us from hearing in the admiration of Mary that Luke clearly has. Her spiritual beauty reaches its emotional peak in the first part of her song where she responds from the heart to God for all he has done for her. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. How does a soul magnify God? A, mag- a mouth magnifies God by saying God is magnificent. We sing and seek his praises, but no one hears the soul. No one but you and God. So I doubt that Mary means that she is verbalizing a silent prayer. I think she means at this moment her soul feels the greatness and holiness and mercy of God upon her life. And the feeling is primarily one of joy. If you look at uh, Psalm 6930, uh, it says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving. I will magnify God with thanksgiving. Now we learn the truth that we also magnify God every worth thing in Him. It is good news to learn that we magnify God by rejoicing in Him. It is good news because we are commanded to glorify God in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and 33 and Romans 1 20. And His command would be a terrible burden if we had to fulfill it out of duty alone. But it's truly out of the depth of love and admiration in our soul of which Mary takes her song. That is the magnificent. It is the exaltation from the soul of Christ's earthly mother. One that has a deep understanding of who her God is. One that has a deeper revelation of who this child is that she is about to bear. And one that rejoices in her life despite its difficulties, despite the pain, the ridicule, being an outcast being mocked, despite all of it, what we hear in the song is one of joy. Amen. Amen.